Welcome to the Lutheran Outdoor Ministry Podcast. This is the place to be to hear all the latest news and information about the world's finest outdoor ministry network. And now, as always, here's your host, the Executive Director of Lutheran Outdoor Ministries, Mr. Don Johnson. Hello, everybody. I'm so happy to be here with you today, and I'm so happy that we have as our podcast guest, our LOM podcast guest today, Mr. Knute Ogren. Knute Ogren is the development director at Calumet Lutheran Ministries, and most of you who are hearing this know that that is a place that is very near and dear to my heart. As is every one of our LOM organizations, our Calumet particularly so, because I served there for 35 years as the camp director, executive director. I am also, you know, pleased to be uh, doing this particular podcast because Canute Ogren is a person who I have known since the time he was... um, I think pretty much since the time he was a babe in arms. And so uh, it's uh, been really exciting to me to see Canute as an adult and with a very successful career. And now uh, that successful career is involved all the time at Calumet as the Calumet Development Director. But Canute, I'm not going to say anything more about that. I'm going to say thank you to you, welcoming you to this podcast. And I'm going to ask you to get started by just saying a little bit about how is it that you uh, are where you are today? What what happened in the course of life that you ended up as being a full-time staff person at a Lutheran outdoor ministry, and in this case, at Calumet in New Hampshire? Thank you for asking that. And before I answer, I want to say thank you for inviting me to be your guest today. And uh, thank you to all of the organizations who make up LOM, uh, because we're all in this together and we can learn from each other and share uh, successes and failures. And we can do that through this podcast. And that's just one of the ways that we do that through the resources of LOM. And we're only able to do that because of people who are in charge of LOM, the board and the executive director. So I want to thank you and the board for, uh, you know, doing all sorts of stuff that most of us don't know about to make sure that we are all staying connected as the organizations of LOM. When I was a counselor at Calumet back in 1991 or 92, I forget which, somehow we had permission as uh, my cabin group, it might have been 1993, we got permission to go across the street to the family campground and sit with um, Jill and Otto Johnson at their campfire, and they hosted my cabin group for s'mores. I don't even know if we could do that today, but we were able to do that back then. And Jill and Otto, of course, were on staff at Calumet, and we were talking about stuff. I don't, I forget exactly, but one sentence that Otto said to me, changed the way I viewed uh, so much. And he said, it's, it's sort of a silly offhand remark. He said something like this. Well, our church up in Brattleboro, that's all I remember. Because when he said our church, now he lives in, he lived in Connecticut, but he talked about this co- little congregation in Brattleboro 
as our congregation, that, that it, it shifted my view of everything, like that we all had a responsibility for our congregation in Brattleboro and our congregation in uh, Augusta and our congregation in Shelton and so on and so forth. That was really important to me. And I was a student at Muhlenberg College at the time. That helped me in my thinking um, with uh, being part of the church. When I graduated uh, Muhlenberg, I worked for a congregation in Hartford, Emanuel Lutheran. I did three years as the youth director. And and then I shifted to another position. And this is where it gets important. I shifted to a position called coordinator of congregational life. And as part of that position, my job was to relate to the stewardship committee and to sort of help the congregation think about big issues. And the big issue for us at the time was money, Uh, how we use our savings accounts, how we raise money for uh, operating support, how we help people think about God's blessings. Had I not had that job in a manual, uh, where I had to understand our particular 48 endowment funds. I had to understand it so much that I, I could speak intel- intelligently to a bunch of people at church who, who felt strongly about something. Had I not had that job, I wouldn't have been able to get the job at the ELSA Foundation in Chicago, where I had the responsibilities of helping congregations think about their endowment funds, helping individuals think about planned giving and making big gifts to uh, ministry that they cared about. And if I didn't have that job, there's no way I would have been the right match for Calumet when they needed a director development 10 years ago. So that's how that all happened. Did I do a good job answering that or no? I, I don't even know. I, I can you, that, as always, um, yeah, that was, that was uh, definitely a description of how you got to where you're doing development work for Kelly and Matt right now, and how significant are some of some of the things that at the time they take place in our lives uh, seem so insignificant. But when you think back, um, you think of how significant that's been. I always gain so much in conversation with you because you always get my mind thinking about all kinds of things. And when you mentioned Otto and Jill Johnson, no relation to me, and it, it made me think back to an incident in my life when I was a counselor at Calumet, a counselor at Calumet, and this was back in 1963. Holy mackerel! In 1963, as a junior counselor, I was coming out of the dining hall, and another Johnson, Warren Johnson, mm. again, no relation to me, but he was the maintenance director at the time. And he, he called me over to him and he said, hey, you know, I was just watching you in the dining hall at lunch today. And all I can say, he, he's, he was a school teacher and that's how he got to be maintenance director in the summer. And he said, I, I noticed you interacting with the kids at your table. And I got to tell you, I'm a school teacher. I know kids. I know leadership for kids. and." You are really, really good with kids. I love that. You should think about that when you go to college. Yeah, I thought about that, and I went to college to study as a civil engineer. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but I wasn't happy with that at all when I got to be practicing civil engineering. And, you know, it's a long story, but the, the end result is I ended up in a full-time career in camp and so much of that being with kids and teenagers and young adults and that stuff. Like that. So, you know, those conversations that happen at, uh, those conversations happen at churches, sure. But I, I think of another conversation that happened with me when I was uh, 17, a, a counselor, I think in Boys Cabin 6, and a visiting chaplain was there, Karen Grove. And Karen Grove, when I was 17, uh, she was uh, visiting our cabin group and, I don't know, making sure that our devotions were good or something. I don't know. But she took me aside and said, hey, have you ever thought about becoming a pastor? That'll always stick with me because at that time, she did not know uh, that, uh, you know, I was a, a, a closeted 70-year-old uh, gay kid. Uh, no one knew that I, w- I was gay. And I knew that I could not be a pastor because that would mean I would have to lie. And because at that time in our church, you, you, you couldn't, I didn't see a pathway that I could be a pastor and be gay. However, I thought, I really do think that I could be a, someone who could help the church. And so I, I also attribute, I, I'm always so thankful to Karen Grove for saying that to me when I was 17 years old. And saying, I think you might have the gifts to do, well, in this case, I to work for the church. So I, those conversations, and they're happening at our camps all over the place. And that's why it's so important that we have these experiences where people can come together and build relationships for these purposes. Well, and there's another thing you said early on in this conversation. You, 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 talk, you started out by talking about the cabin group doing s'mores with Otto and Jill Johnson and Otto... Yeah. A, me- uh, a, a member of, uh, where, what church was it? It was uh, in Windsor. But saying about the church in Brattleboro, Vermont, our church. Yeah, and yeah. I, it brought me back to um, where you uh, originally, some of the comments you made just getting started in saying, you know, LOM is all about uh, helping all of us. It, it's all of us saying, yeah, we are in an outdoor ministry here, but all of those other outdoor ministries there are ours as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the really cool things about the uh, video that we just did. With, that's uh, awesome! Uh, because it's, it's kids saying what they, it's people of all ages saying what they love about their camp. And it's their camp, but Anything they say, you could say about any LRM camp. So it's really cool. But um, Canute, as always, uh, we could keep on without getting down to the real subject at hand. And the real subject at hand is uh, like every one of our outdoor member organizations, outdoor ministry organizations in LOM, Calumet is dealing with a time that they've never had to deal with before, not knowing what any of the answers are, and also dealing with uh, typical revenue streams being dried up and not having the typical revenue streams. I've known, because of my association with Calumet, that Calumet has been going through recently, in the past couple of weeks, a, a significant fundraising fund. And it's had considerable success, 
And I think that it's worth sharing with all of our camps an idea that has reached fruition for you at Calumet. And I just think it's worth sharing. Uh, and there might be a whole bunch of camps out there who could take some of that idea and use it where they're at, or it might spur new ideas for them or whatever. And over the next few months, um, I, I'm hoping that we can do a number of podcasts like this, where people are in one aspect of their outdoor ministry operation or another, are having a, a particularly good experience, and it might be worth sharing with all of our other outdoor ministry organizations. So let's get into that a, a little bit. Canute, what was this fundraising thing uh, that you most recently have had at Calumet? We had a one-day campaign. We've done that kind of thing before, but we did a one-day campaign, June 28th, and our our talking points related to this one-day campaign is that based on this particular year, uh, Calumet had to cancel its resident camp, so that has a, a significant impact on our bottom line in terms of financial health. Even though we don't make a ton of money on kids' camp, uh, it, it does part- it does have a, a role to play in how we end our year. That uh, that in order for Calumet to be on good, strong footing. Uh, and, and I said this to everyone, in my opinion, it means that instead of hearing from 2,000 donors, the number that we typically go for, um, that we would need to hear from 2,650 donors. Okay, that is the most important thing, in my opinion. When I started at Calumet 10 years ago, we had 1,000 donors, and I thought that's not enough. With, of all the people who claim to care about Calumet now and all these past years, the idea that we only had a thousand wasn't good enough. Now, for some LOM camps, they'll hear that number and think a thousand. Oh my gosh, that's incredible! Well, you know, every camp should look at their own number of donors and wonder with them wonder to themselves, "Wow, we we have 170 donors. Does that reflect the number of people who seem to say that they care about this place?" So whatever the number is for every LOM camp or retreat center, that's what I would want to put, put out there to them. Look at the number you have and wonder, is that, is that a good match for what the spirit seems to be? Well, for Calumet, 1,000 wasn't what the spirit seemed to be. And so we had a goal. And I'm sorry, that's my computer dinging, and I don't know how to shut it off. I'm good at some things, and I'm, I'm not good at others. So we, we went from 1,000 donors, and the goal was 1,500 donors. Well, we got that within the first year. I thought, all right, that was easy. Let's have a goal of 2,000. And we got to maybe 1,800. And then we, we finally got to 2,000. And it's really been at about 2,000. And when we had 2,000 donors these last many years, Calumet, while we're not rolling in it, we don't have a ton of money. But we've, we don't have board meetings where we're struggling to think about how we're going to do stuff that we feel God is calling us to do. Okay. Well, all of a sudden, we have to cancel uh, kids' camp. Calumet hasn't had a retreat for families and adults uh, since March. We've lost a lot of income, and we need to maintain our staff, our team, so that when we, when pandemic stuff goes away or we learn how to manage it well, or, or I don't know what the words are, that we're ready to hit the ground running on day one, and we can begin doing those awesome retreats that people depend on. So we can't, like, 
lay people off or that's not going to be good. So we need to keep the team together. So my gut was the thing that told me if we can figure out how to get 2,650 donors to give any amount of money they want, I don't care what the amount of money is. A bunch of people giving five bucks. Great. My job is not to decide for the donor what they should give. My job is to say to the donor, the potential donor, I don't care what you want to give. Give something. Be one of the 2,650. And then let the donor and the Holy Spirit figure out what they might be able to give. So when, when I've put things in those kinds of terms, uh, we, we've been more inclined to be success, quote, successful when we've had these kinds of things. And when I pick a goal such as this, we, we tend to hit them. Why? Why? Because you do a bunch of groundwork. So in the case of the one-day campaign, am I saying too much? Do you want me to stop talking? No, no, no. And I think getting into the groundwork is an important part of this because um, from my perspective, that, that, uh, the groundwork that, that you do and stuff like this is uh, such a critical piece of it. So um, the groundwork is, number one, my, my primary colleague in the development area is Ginger. And Ginger, she actually knows everything. So getting Ginger and myself to be in the same um, wavelength in terms of thinking and planning. So when I come up with my strange thing, she says, Knut, we can't do that. Or yes, Knut, I'll figure out how to do that. And that allows me to keep dreaming. And so the ground game is getting word out to everyone what the plan is. Now, everyone knows pandemic is complicated for for Calumet and for whatever LOM camp might be listening. Great. That's already, that's a benefit to us. The fact that we have this pandemic, no one can blame a camp for being in trouble. This is out of our control. So that's a benefit to us. We use that to our advantage. Uh, Okay, everyone, we're screwed. Um, And this is how we're going to figure out how not to be screwed. And it's going to be that everyone participates and we just get the word out. We did that through our website, our Facebook page. And we do that in funny, silly, interesting, serious, creative, I think I said already, ways. Using short videos. There was, I I contacted 150 people and told them I was going to do a Facebook post and I needed them. I'm doing a Facebook post tomorrow, and I need you to like it and share it. I I had to do that work so that when I posted it the next day, now not everyone did it, but maybe 100 people liked it, and and uh, some of them shared it. That helps. So you can't just post something and hope it's going to work. You've got to get people on board to make it successful. So that post was about, hey, everyone. We're going to start getting volunteers for our, our phone-a-thon. Um, and we called every one of our 2,000 donors. In order to call 2,000 donors, I needed to find uh, 200 volunteers. So I reached, out to two, I reached out to 250 people, and I said, I need your help. You've said before that if camp's ever in trouble, call you. So I am calling you. And we had uh, just shy of 200 people participate in the phone call ministry. What was the phone call ministry? One week before our one-day campaign, uh, and I did five Zoom tutorials with with groups. There were 30 and 40 people on these tutorials. 
Um, and I explained to them how they were going to make their five to seven minute phone call. And the, each one was only going to have to call 10 or 12 or 15 people. So I wasn't asking a volunteer to do anything too, too much. I was asking them to make 10 or 12 five minute phone calls or leave uh, leaving voicemails and follow up with emails. And because that happened, then we were able to concentrate on um, the rest of what we call Calumet Nation. And we had a postcard that went out to 5,000 people. Wait a minute, Claire. Let me just ask a question right here and pop in with this. The 200 volunteers, did you give them the names to call? And if so, the names of people they were calling, were they already donors? And if they were already donors, how did you um, how how did you have a strategy for expanding the number of donors if you were only calling people who are already on your donor list? Yes. Um, so <clears throat> two things are happening with this. Number one, you're connecting with everyone on the inside, if you will. It, we ended up calling over two thousand people who gave gifts any time within the last, say, four years. Um, so maybe it was actually 2,300 people. I, I, I'm just picking numbers here. So not every one of those two, uh, not everyone gives every year. So for, if we're going to be successful this year, everyone who's given at all in the last four years has to make a gift this year. If everyone has made a gift in the last four years, let's just say it's 2,300 people, makes a gift this year, then we're already well on our way to hitting our 2,650 goal. Now, the inside messaging for those people is to make sure they know about the One Day Campaign, but also to make sure that they know that they are in the, the group that needs to spread the word. Um, so on the follow-up email that went out, it, it gives people um, the, um, the messaging about how, how they can make a gift through a phone call or the online gift, but also those 200 volunteers in their Zoom training call got information from me saying, this is a time when I need your mother, your kid, your sister, your cousin, your neighbor, your UPS driver, everyone you know to make a gift. So I was in, essentially inviting those 200 volunteers to put on their thinking caps of the people that they know and love who claim to love Calumet. Have they been invited to give? So, so now I have 200 volunteers who are helping me expand the circle a little bit. Additionally, in that Zoom training, all those people were directed to our uh, one-day campaign webpage, which had a newsletter blurb. And I said to them on the call, hey, many of you go to a church. I don't know that every church knows about this one-day campaign that's coming up in one week. Um, have you... Uh, do you have a, an opportunity to be in touch with your pastor or your e-news, your e-newsletter person at your church and make sure they know about the one-day campaign? So now I, instead of churches hearing from Canuta Calumet about this, they're hearing from their person in their congregation about this. That is huge to have helpers in spreading the word, helpers in getting people paying attention. Now, I had said we want to hear from 2650 people and wouldn't it, wouldn't that have been great to hear about them all hear from them all on two, uh, June 28th that that i knew that wasn't going to happen but by the end of this year 
I'll bet you nickel it's going to happen. Because already in the one-day campaign, we had, um, uh, Ginger is still doing the math on it, but we have just about a 1,000 people who have participated. We've never had a 1,000 people participate in anything at this early in the year. Many of those people are new donors, people who haven't given before. Many of those people are people who had not given to us last year. Of course, many of the people who gave gave to us this year, we're going to give anyway. But most of those people, their gift on the one-day campaign reflected an amount that was higher than their gift last year. I know that some of the people who participated in the one-day campaign gave us what their typical annual fund gift was. Fine. It's wonderful. Uh, we We got that earlier than maybe we would have. Maybe there's maybe there's a 92 year old, two year old lady who gave us a gift now, and um, you know maybe she's going to die in October, and we wouldn't have gotten it in December. I don't know. I'm making stuff up here, <laughs> but but here's the thing: uh, th- this is a serious thing. When we encourage people to give now, give give because you can, and don't wait. Do it now. When people give now, then maybe by the end of the year they'll think, you know what? I can afford to give a little bit more to camp now. So if we can help people think about giving at two times during a given year, rather than just at one end of the year gift, that helps them become better stewards and better supporters of the ministry. And that makes them feel good. We do this asking and the receiving of gifts because it helps camp. Yes. But also because it helps the donor. Our job is to be in relationship with people. And using money as a way of being in a relationship is not a bad thing. We help people grow by helping them be generous with their gifts to help Kim Kalman. So now, Knut, uh, back to the 200 volunteers, and each one of them, I take it, had 10, a list of 10. I, I know a little bit about this because my wife, Janet, yep. was one of those volunteers that you recruited for, for that task. But I also know that she was um, more open to being one of those volunteers by knowing that she would not have to ask for money. Oh, that, I'm so glad you said that. And, and, um, and I'm, I, I guess I wanted to ask, is that really the case? Were they just asking the people they were contacting? Uh, and in Janet's case, she knew every one of them uh, from personal experience. So I'm sure that helped, too. Yeah. But uh, was she just saying, hey, don't forget that the um, one day of giving for Calumet is uh, uh, June such and such. And that's about all she was doing, was reminding them of what they were already finding out on Facebook and by email and stuff like that. And then I get a follow-up question to that, too. So um, just uh, tell us a little bit about that. I'll do that one first. Yes. um, I'm a director of development. I've been doing that for 10 years. Before I did that, I worked for three years for the ELCA. Before I did that, I worked for the uh, church in Hartford for eight years. Many of those, it was, uh, I paid attention to money. Even I don't love asking people for money. Oh, I, you can make it fun. You can make it into something interesting, but it it's complicated. And so if I'm going to ask 200 people to be volunteers, 
I have to figure out how they're going to say yes to that. Well, the easiest way to get them to say yes is to make sure that they know they're not going to have to ask anyone for money. So when I asked the volunteers, I said, you're not going to have to ask anyone for money. The thing that I need you to do is just help me make a simple contact. There's no way that I, Canute, can call 2,300 households. I just can't do it. So I need your help to make a simple contact, have it be just five or seven minutes long, and don't ask for money. Your, your thing is to say, hey, have you heard about Calumet's one-day campaign? Oh, good, great. I'm just so glad. That's the reason I'm calling. I, need, I am calling you and 10 other people and 200 others are calling another two Over 2,000 people are getting calls because we want everyone to know that um, and make sure that they know that the one-day campaign is happening. Boom. The other thing is, hey, um, have you heard about this Reach a Beach walk that Calumet's doing? It's nuts. I mean, blah, 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 blah. And then have a conversation to, and then say, hey, how, how did you get involved in camp? To just have a brief interaction. Don't worry about asking for money. All, if they can just make sure the person knows about the one-day campaign, perfect. If the person says, no, I don't know about the one-day campaign. Okay, well, here's the thing. I'm going to send you an email about it. And I, Knut, made up the email and sent it to every one of those um, callers. So when they did their follow-up email with their 10 people that they called, all they did was include the email that I sent, the PDF that says one day campaign, blah, 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 blah. Boom. There's a whole school of thought in the development field. There's an effectiveness with asking a prospective donor to consider a particular amount of donation. Yes. I take it you don't agree with that. And I'd just like you to um, share a little bit of your rationale as a contrapoint to that. If, or maybe you agree with it a little bit, but not all the way or whatever. Yeah. How do you feel about that whole thing? Um, I, I'm not smart enough to disagree with the people who do the work in that way. Um, but I do have a couple things I want to say about that kind of uh, ask. I think it's easier for someone to go into a place and make and to raise a lot of money over 18 months period of time and then head out the door. I, I think it's easy for to do that. What I think is really hard is to figure out how to have a healthy uh, income stream of donations over a long period of time, year in and year out. My belief is the way that we do that, and it's, it's worked for Calumet, and so I don't know that it would work everywhere else, in, assuming that what I'm doing uh, people on the outside would say <laughs> is working. I believe it is. Um, and so what, what I, my belief is by being clear with every one of our donors, all I care about is that we have, uh, in a, so this year I'm going to use it as an example. All I care about is that we reach our goal of 2,650 donors. I am going to let the Holy Spirit figure out with the donor what that donor ought to give. Our, and then I talk about how Camp Calumet's donors 
They know Camp Calumet. They know that we're incredibly good stewards of their money. They know that the, the, what happens here at Calumet matters in such a significant way. They know uh, that the history of Calumet and the donors who give to Camp Calumet is a history filled with incredible generosity of people coming through with sizable, generous contributions that are, are the size that makes sense for each donor, and that a don't one donor giving 150 bucks could be just as significantly generous as another donor who's giving $5,000, which is a wonderful, generous gift. And so, in my opinion, by having that kind of conversation on an ongoing basis, uh, that has been part of what Camp Calumet's success has been. That it's about relationships, it's about thanking people profusely, both in writing and in face-to-face stuff. I, I do a lot of um, coffees and phone calls and texts with people saying, I can't believe that wonderful gift you just sent. Holy buckets. This is fantastic. Because it is. And I want to make sure that I'm doing the work now so they're going to give me money next year, too. The best way to get next year's gift is to thank people profusely and uh, in, in the most interesting of ways for their gift this year. So uh, I don't doubt that some people going in saying, I need you to consider giving $10,000. Uh, I, I believe that that's effective. That's not my style. And maybe I'm leaving a bunch of money on the table. But I'll tell you this. We rarely have people saying to Camp Calumet, I'm really ticked at what you've done with the money that I gave you. And I'd much rather have that than anyone who gives a big hunk of money uh, because they were told something or misunderstood something, which is possible. I never, I just don't want that. I, do, I don't want to create that because it's about relationships and trusts. Uh, and, and for Camp to be strong, we have to be excellent stewards of the relationship. I don't know. Was that a good answer or no? <laughs> really? I mean, it was an answer that reflects your thinking about that. And what's good about, about this opportunity is to get a chance to uh, go into your brain a little bit and have you share stuff that is um, working well for Calumet. And uh, it, there's some of it that might work for other camps throughout LOM. And for that, we are very grateful. And so, Canute, um, I'm just very grateful for you taking the time to do this, your willingness to do this. This is a manifestation of what LOM is all about. And uh, I, so let me ask you this. Is, is there anything else before we close this off that you think – yeah. Is there any other question that you think would have been important for me to ask, but I didn't ask you? Here's what I wish every LOM organization would know. If you're a good steward of the relationship and just trust, the money will come. The, the financial development science about you're not going to get the money unless you ask is totally true. How you ask you know, you have to figure that out for yourself. But it's certainly true. You have to ask. I have chosen to do more soft asks 
But before you can uh, do the asks, you have to be a good steward of the relationship. And if you're a good and faithful partner in that relationship with people and people trust you and trust the ministry, the ask, which you have to do in some way, uh, will be beautiful and the response will come. I, I just promise that the money will come if you, if you actually do the ask in the way that seems authentic and genuine and holy. Thank you. I, I think that's really important. I, the other thing, I, I'm, I'm just going to add a piece to that, too. It promises more success when you ask for, for something that you have already demonstrated that you're doing or you're capable of doing by way of ministry, by way of uh, what your mission is. Um, and certainly, especially in capital campaigns, a lot of times we're asking for um, something that can be done if we add it to a menu of ministry initiatives. However, um, it's a lot easier to ask for stuff that we've already shown that, yeah, we're really good at doing. And I think that's part of the whole being good stewards of of our resources that you mentioned too. We were able to build two, two buildings that represented five living areas for families and, and adults. And the reason we we're able to do that is because a donor couple came to us and said that, and they're about, uh, I don't know if I should, well, they met with their financial advisor and their financial advisor said that they are going to die with too much money in the bank. So he, he or she recommended that they give some of their money away. And they came to me, to Calumet, and said, eight years ago, we went to a program that talked about giving money away, and we love Calumet, and so we'd like to give Calumet $250,000. I tell you that because the soft asks or, or, the, or the hard asks, whatever the words are, that you do right now, the, the ones done today may not come to fruition until five or 10 years down the road. So even when you do the asking and you do it in a way that you're allowing God to be at work, whatever that looks like for you. I always pray briefly, dear God, don't let me screw this up and give me the right words. Amen. Um, and sometimes God helps me with that. <laughs> if you pay attention, in my opinion, if you pay attention to that, just lay, you, you just have to trust that God is going to do something. So it, it just, um, when you talked about the capital campaign, um, you might do an ask now that's going to come to fruition on a campaign that you'll do five years from now. It's okay. Um, move forward with uh, trust and, and uh, trust God and trust your donors who trust you. We've been hearing a lot through the pandemic that uh, it's, important to um, make sure that we talk to our donors about what their gifts will allow us to continue to do because of what our mission is. In other words, to ask from a point of health and vibrancy and strength, as opposed to, uh, I mean, the flip side of that would be, if you don't give us money now, uh, we might have to close by the end of the year or something like that. Your, your recent one-day campaign 
what was your messaging um, in that regard? Uh, were you paying attention to that kind of thing? We did a, um, uh, Carl, the executive director, and myself, we did a lakeside chat, Facebook Live lakeside chat, and we put it on the website so that people could refer to that however much they wanted to. In that lakeside chat, what we did is we took three questions that we heard time and time and again, and we answered them. We, we, uh, we had someone ask us the question on video, and we have a great techie guy who was able to, oh, Rob, who-, who Rob, uh, yeah, he put together the video for LOM. Yeah, he's fantastic. By the way, thank you. That was your idea from the beginning, from another conversation we had. Uh-huh. And I'll get that out to everybody right now. Uh-huh. I was going to take complete credit for that idea, but I'm gonna, uh-huh. I, now I'm feeling guilty about taking credit for it. So thank you no. today. No, it was-, it was work with us on that rob is able to do really good stuff so he was able to put that video and that live chat together merging recorded and live stuff together and one of the questions was a kid a a kid uh, a young woman a, a junior counselor or senior counselor asking hey camp is closed this summer um does is camp going to go under basically because we heard that young kids were worried that camp was going to close forever. And we were able to, able to answer in that lakeside chat, no, camp is not, we're not selling it. We're, we're going to be fine, but in no small way, we're in a pickle. And because people love Camp Calumet, the people who love Camp Calumet won't allow Calumet to stay in a pickle. And that's why. We need to get 2,650 people to come together. And I'm not asking any one person to give me $300,000. Because Camp Calumet, and I imagine this is true for a lot of our LOM places, none of them can exist because of one donor. These places exist because a lot of people come together with smaller gifts that add up to be so much. And so your messaging is, the reason we're going to be okay is because every single one of the people who love this place, they're going to come through. And you have to tell them that that's what's going to happen. And then give them the opportunity to do it. I I just think it's the way you talk. It's no good to say, we're going to have to, we're going to have to lay, if your primary message is, we're totally screwed. Well, heck, that's not inspiring. There's nothing hopeful about that. You, You have to figure out how to talk about the realities but do it in such a way that there's inspiration and hope and uh, opportunity. And and because God is going to come through for people who who trust, for heaven's sake. Now, that's not that people will say, well, what about churches that close? What about uh, ministry centers that close? Yes, those lousy things happen. And I can't I can't wrap my head around it. But if you're an LOM organization that's worried about that, call me because I want to talk to you and your board before you decide to close. I'll help you. <laughs> hey, that's a good offer. Hey, Knut, here's, um, here's uh, one thing I forgot. to. I was going to ask you at the very beginning, and now you have reminded me because you said you and Kyle sat down, you did this video on Facebook or whatever. Uh, so that uh, Calumet's very unique in a number of ways, but very unique because it's currently led by an executive director and a development director who are brothers. 
And I'm just curious. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think I have a little bit of understanding of how that works and everything. But uh, <laughs> for all of those through LOM who are scratching their heads and say, brothers are executive director and development director. How's that work? Hey, Canute, how's that work? How's that going? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's So here's the thing. Um, my brother and I, as you know, because you've known both of us for so many years, we're very different. And the, our skill sets are, I could not do what he does. And he knows that I know that. And I know that he knows that he can't do what I do. Now, we can, we can fake it a little bit if we had to. And, and we, we could figure it out over time. But we both are very, very, uh, I hate, this sound doesn't sound very good. But we're very, very good at very different things. And I believe that one of the most important things we have going for us is we have a sister that is quick to tell uh, each of us when we're being stupid. And uh, so <laughs> we, uh, I, I'm so thankful to our sister, Karen, who uh, will tell my brother or me when we're being stupid. <laughs> and, and I've known Karen over the years, and I know <laughs> she's willing to tell me when I'm being stupid. In the nicest way. <laughs> just before you mentioned that, I was going to say, uh, I'm going to be really wondering when you get your only other sibling, Karen, on the senior staff. <laughs> she probably wouldn't even consider it. <laughs> hey, Canute, thank you very much. This has been great. Uh, oh, uh, you and Kyle are exceptionally good at what you both do and... I am so grateful for your ministry and for your willingness to share throughout LOM. Thank you very much, and um, we will see you around. Hey, keep on keeping on. Be good, and let me know if I can be of help to you or anyone. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to the only official Lutheran Outdoor Ministry podcast in the entire world. Until next time, check out the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries website or our Facebook page. So long for now from the Lutheran Outdoor Ministries World Headquarters. On behalf of Don Johnson, have a wonderful day.